0: Welcome to This Week in Video Games episode 37. My name's Tom Kershaw and this is a podcast all about the world of video games. So, this week I've been playing Luigi's Mansion 3 and the Outer Worlds. So, Nintendo, they've found the magic once again with their latest release, an obsidian of coming to rejuvenate the RPG genre. Also, this week I look at Twitch streamers migrating over to Mixer, and finally I sat down to chat with Sam Partridge from Stave Studios whose game, Over the Alps, was included in Apple Arcade's launch lineup. So it's a jam-packed show, let's get to it. Welcome to the show everyone, I hope you're well and you're having a good week. I'm good this week and we're fully in the swing of game release season. So every week we've got something new at the moment and uh, this week I'm going to be focusing on Luigi's Mansion 3 and The Outer World. so two top games of 2019. Also, we've got Death Stranding out, and although I'm not going to be talking too much about it on this episode of the podcast, I can say I'm playing it, and so far I'm really, really enjoying it. So I will be focusing on Death Stranding in the next episode, so please look forward to that. Other than the great games this week, I've been revamping the Patreon tiers and offers for you all. So you may notice that the podcast out is one day later now on Mondays rather than Sundays. And this is because part of the $5 tier on Patreon, I've added an exclusive content feed. So if you support this level and above, you'll get access to an exclusive feed, which you can subscribe to in your favourite RSS reader or your favourite podcast app. And that'll get you access to exclusive content from This Week in Video Games. So this includes early access to the podcast, as well as exclusive extra bits from interviews with guests I have on the podcast. The Patreon rewards also include getting involved in the community discussions with the Game Guild, and that's our community playthrough feature where you can send in your questions, your comments and your stories, and you get exclusive Discord access. So I'm looking to build a supportive, fun, and inclusive gaming community. So if that sounds like something you'd be interested in and you enjoy This Week in Video Games content, then head on over to patreon.com forward slash thisweekinvideogames. So other rewards include voting on the next community playthrough. You get shout outs on the podcast and getting your name immortalized forever In the show notes as a producer so you may be asking yourself why support this week in video games on patreon so i love making this week in video games uh, not only the podcast but all the youtube videos interviews and all the other content that i do Uh, and everything that i get from patreon will be invested back into creating better content for you through equipment more content perhaps even more podcasts in the future And I'd love to add streaming into the content schedule too. So support through Patreon will allow me the freedom to create more. So if you enjoy and want to support, then that would be absolutely fantastic. Right, well that is enough waffle from me. So let's get into what I've been playing this week. So this week I've mainly been playing Luigi's Mansion 3 and The Outer Worlds. So there was also a good dungeon release in Destiny 2 last week which I missed on the podcast as it was an off week, however it is worth mentioning and super super fun. So Destiny 2 released the Pit of Heresy in Destiny 2 Shadowkeep and it's the second dungeon that they've done. It's fun, it's an endgame game activity with a series of encounters that play much like raids but it doesn't require the six-person coordination and communication that a raid does. So it's kind of like a little bit of a raid light. So I haven't gotten into the Garden of Salvation in Destiny 2 yet, as I need to coordinate with raiders on the weekend, as most of my clan is in the US. So if you want to start up a Destiny 2 clan, then send me an email on podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com and let me know if that's something you'd be interested in. Also with the dungeon, the Pit of Heresy, there's some great lore behind the dungeon and the final boss as well, so you should definitely check that out. I made a specific YouTube video on the Pit of Heresy, so head on over to This Week in Video Games on YouTube and search up How to Beat the Pit of Heresy for that full guide. Pit of Heresy and the dungeon in Destiny 2 is really, really good, and that has taken up a little bit of my time, but I have mainly been playing Luigi's Mansion 3, and uh, originally I was on the fence about Luigi's Mansion 3, um, but I'm super, super glad that I got hold of it. So the puzzles are absolutely fantastic and there's a really good sense of humor weaved throughout the game. So if you've got a Nintendo Switch and you've been sitting on the fence about Luigi's Mansion 3, then I definitely recommend getting it for sure. So with that in mind, first up, let's get into Luigi's Mansion 3. for Luigi to take centre stage on Nintendo Switch, having played the support role in many games before. It's up to Luigi to rescue Mario and Co. as well as battle ghosts in the Last Resort during this entertaining action puzzler in Luigi's Mansion 3. So Luigi, Mario, Princess, and some Toads and Polterpup—they're off on holiday, and they've got their sights set on the Last Resort. So it's a glamorous hotel which Luigi and the gang have been invited to to enjoy a few days of rest. All isn't well at the hotel as the staff look a bit jumpy and the owner, Helen Gravely, is working with the evil King Boo. So he's lured the group back to the hotel to trap them in paintings forever, but Luigi manages to get away from King Boo and jumps down a trash chute. So the story in Luigi's Mansion 3 is fairly standard by Mushroom Kingdom standards, however the gameplay is really really good fun. So as Luigi, it's your job to rescue your friends by investigating the hotel floor by floor. So together with Professor Egad and Polterpup, you'll hunt down the missing elevator buttons that allow you to travel around the hotel, clearing out the ghosts in the process. So Each floor in the hotel is a new area with puzzles, ghosts and a final boss to battle. So The floors start out as fairly standard. It's a hotel and you come across a maid, you've got the chef and the security guard. However, as you progress through the game and the floors, the puzzles become more elaborate and entertaining. There's a good example on Floor 8 where you have to return the director's red megaphone. So the megaphone puzzle is really fun and involves moving items from room to room, getting behind the camera and filming finally culminating in the boss battle from a famous monster movie. I don't want to spoil it. So if you you play Luigi's Mansion 3, uh, definitely get to Floor 8 to enjoy or to experience that final boss battle. It's super, super fun. You've really got to see it for yourself. There's a medieval floor with knights and kings there's an egyptian floor with mummies and pyramids there's a museum floor with a huge t-rex skeleton trying to kill you it's full of imagination and it's fun to explore the whole hotel so the hotel is haunted of course and there's ghosts around every corner and there's a variety of ghost enemies including the hilarious little tiny ones um, there's your regular ghost, ones that creep up on you, behind you, and then there's the big red ones as well. There's even the cute and elusive Polterkitty, Helen Gravely's pet cat. And uh, some really good moments, um, especially with Luigi. When you're trying to catch the Polterkitty, you have to stand there, really still, not looking at Polter Kitty, and he creeps up on you, step by step, paw by paw, waits behind you, and then launches and lunges up behind you with his cl- claws open. And at that point, you have to turn around, blast him in the face with the uh, with the light and uh, then you can get power key. so yeah definitely check it out it's really really fun so Guigi is the newest character to enter the series and is a full-on goo representation of Luigi so he can pretty much do anything Luigi can however he melts in water and he can't use door handles he can however get past spikes through fences and other places where Luigi can't get to safely the puzzle mechanics do become really interesting when you've got Guiji, uh, because you can position Luigi and Gooigi independently and they both have the capability to affect the environment. So for example you're on one level and you can manipulate different switches on different levels with the other character. So be careful of those puddles or water though as it's going to be bye bye Gooigi. Controls in the game are interesting so uh, move Luigi around with the left stick and you can use the right stick to control the direction of his tools. So, you've got the Poltergust G00, which is Professor Egad's new and improved invention for taking care of the hotel ghouls. So, you can hoover them up, you can blow them back, and you can use your flashbulb to stun them or your dark light to hunt them down. So, the dark light is also useful to reveal hidden items. Luigi walks and he mutters and it's like mama, mama, Mario! And he runs around the hotel and he's nice and responsive. So, aiming can be a little bit funky at times, but i don't think it's game breaking and i think game explain did a really good youtube video explaining how you can switch up the controls and the settings uh, to make it a little bit more responsive so head on over to youtube and check out that video that game Explain did. so the puzzles in luigi's mansion they're fun and engaging Uh, i thought they were pretty tough at times but then again i'm not a huge puzzler in games they're surprising and they kept me thinking about the game long after i put the controller down so there's a great puzzle involving Polterkitty, uh, roughly halfway through the game, where he or she runs off with a number nine elevator button across various floors, which is a nice change of pace to the game. So the game can sometimes fall into a bit of a rhythm. However here, it was a nice change of pace. You're kind of going from floor to floor and uh, rather than being a linear game checking out one floor, you're going up and down and throughout the hotel. So as the game progresses, the puzzles get harder, but I never found myself truly stumped or frustrated, which was really nice. The boss fights, they're great, and some of the highlights for me include a in battle with a T-Rex skeleton, you've got the Japanese movie monster, which I alluded to earlier, and you've got the various different ghosts, such as the security guard, the maid, and you've also got the Pharaoh as well. The boss fights, they're really grand, they've got scale and often have different mechanics to switch things up and keep the battles fresh. There's a formula to the ghost fights, and that tends to be sort of flash them with the light, suck them up with the Poltergust G00 unit, and slam them around. Ultimately, it's all the same, but finding the cracks in the boss's armor is especially entertaining. So there's a few game modes in Luigi's Mansion as well, uh, including the main campaign story mode, and the multiplayer online and local co-op mode uh, called ScareScraper. So here, up to eight players play uh, cooperatively to clear out 25 floors and randomly generated high-rise building. There's a Team Versus mode called Screen Park with Team Luigi versus Team Gooigi scoring points in different modes including Ghost Hunt, Cannon Barrage and Coin Floating. So The main campaign is packed full of secrets with gems and boos to be found. Even if you've finished all the bosses there's plenty to go back and find. Do beware though, once you beat a boss you can't replay that boss again. Something I found out the hard way on the T-Rex boss. The so graphics and the sound in the game are fantastic and graphically the game feels like a step up from other Mario Bros games like Super Mario Odyssey or Mario Kart 8 on the Nintendo Switch. It's one of the best looking games to date on the Nintendo Switch and it's colourful, it's vibrant when the lights are on and the music and the audio provide a compliment to the great graphics. So I really enjoyed the story. Uh, I'm new to the series uh, which has seen Luigi's Mansion on GameCube as a launch title back in 2001 And then we had Luigi's Mansion 2 Dark Moon on Nintendo 3DS. So, I never played the previous games, uh, but it does make me curious to go back and play them after having such a great time with Luigi's Mansion 3. As I mentioned before, I was on the fence about the game, but Luigi's Mansion 3 is definitely a great game and well worth your time and money if you're a Nintendo fan. Other things I enjoyed about the game was the variety of the levels, the humour, the puzzles, the boss battles. I'm not really sure what my expectations were going into the game, but they were definitely exceeded during my playthrough. There's an unmistakable amount of Nintendo magic here. So I posted up uh, my entire playthrough actually on the YouTube channel. So if you're interested, go over to YouTube, search up This Week in Video Games, and you'll see my Luigi's Mansion 3 playlist if you click on playlists. I didn't really enjoy the controls and the camera work at times Uh, so Luigi walks around in a 3D environment and the right stick controls can be a little bit tricky. As I mentioned before it's not really game breaking and uh, didn't bother me too much but if I had to choose something I didn't enjoy then the controls can be a little bit funky. Overall Luigi's Mansion 3 is great fun and if you're someone who's never played through the series but have been curious then I'd recommend picking it up and playing through it. It's not overly long, uh, you'll be entertained throughout and, in the, and the Nintendo polish is there for everyone to see and feel during the playthrough. The hidden secrets give it a good replayability factor and the multiplayer mode are fun and engaging and Luigi's Mansion 3 is well worth your time and attention. So developed by Nintendo, it's released on Nintendo Switch. Originally came out on Halloween on October the 31st, 2019 and I gave the game a final score of 84 out of 100. So what did you think of the game? Head on over to patreon.com forward slash games and sign up to any tier and send me your questions, comments and thoughts on Luigi's Mansion 3. I would love to hear from you. So next up, let's get into some streamers leaving Twitch for Mixer. Top streamers have been leaving Twitch for Mixer in recent weeks and months and it seems like every week we're getting another announcement. So is there something wrong with Twitch or have their competitors just up their game? Let's find out. So Tyler Ninja Blevin started out the trend in August 2019 when he announced in a shock move that he'd be leaving Twitch to stream exclusively on Mixer. Ninja was Twitch's number one streamer and the first to reach 10 million followers on the platform. So Ninja grew to be a hugely popular player, having spent years focusing on FPS games. He's got a great personality, plus he's a really skilled player too. And when Fortnite exploded onto the scene, Ninja grabbed that opportunity with both hands. So Ninja's move to Mixer, although a surprise kind of did make sense. He wanted to grow his brand outside of gaming. He'd been involved in high-profile events, such as New York's New Year's celebration live on TV, as well as the first eSports player to be featured on the front of ESPN magazine. So Shroud followed Ninja to stream exclusively on Mixer two months later. So Michael Shroud Grezik announced he was leaving the platform on Twitter with a simple but clear message, same Shroud, new home. So the exclusive deals with Mixer now meant they captured arguably the top two streamers on the platform, with Shroud commanding over 7 million Twitch followers. So Shroud is another first person shooter player who made his name in CSGO and grew with other games like PUBG, Apex Legends, Call of Duty Black Ops 4 and Rainbow Six Siege. So King Thalion is the latest streamer to leave Twitch for Mixer, and uh, you might be noticing a pattern here. Uh, so Goth is a huge Destiny player and he's got over 1 million followers on Twitch. As well as streaming, Goth runs the yearly GCX event, formerly GuardianCon, and raises millions of dollars for charity each year through live events and streaming marathons. So Mixer seems serious about growing their market share in the live streaming space. Twitch dominates the space at the moment with approximately 75% of the market share. uh, However, dents are being made into that market share with these acquisitions. Mixers got approximately 3% of the market share according to Stream Elements, and that's at the end of Q2. So Twitch's numbers declined slightly in Q2 2019 by about 2%. However, it was Twitch's second biggest quarter to date, following on from a huge Q1. So YouTube's got that 19.5% of the live streaming industry in Q2, with more than 735 million viewership hours. Wow, that's uh, that's loads. So it also set a new milestone in May when it had 284 million hours, uh, and that was the highest number of viewership hours for YouTube live streams so far. Facebook Gaming, uh, that also grew in Q2 2019, and now it's the third biggest platform for live streaming, with 5.3%, nearly 200 million viewed hours. Uh, And that was in Q2 and that has passed the fourth place streaming platform Mixer, which has 112 million viewership hours or around 3% of the market share. So far, we've seen huge streamers leaving Twitch for Mixer, but why is this happening given the numbers we've just talked about? So there's big players uh, with deep pockets behind the brand names such as Twitch and Mixer. So if you're listening to this, then you're likely going to know what Twitch and Mixer are. However, they're not really household names. Twitch has seen a growth in brand awareness in recent years, not always for positive reasons. However, the huge tech companies behind streaming brand names may be more familiar to everyone around the dinner table. So Amazon owns Twitch, uh, having bought them in 2014 for $790 million. And Mixer started out life as Beam in 2016 and was brought by Microsoft in 2017 and positioned as a rival to Twitch. So there's a variety of reasons for wanting to leave Twitch. And I'm sure money is a factor as these top streamers are likely to command huge sums based on exclusive streaming contracts. So, Microsoft does have deep pockets and they're wanting to show that they're serious in a space which is currently dominated by a single streaming player. It's not only money, there's definitely other factors involved like growing a community and the live events that Microsoft has influence in. So Ninja, he was a top Halo player before early in his career and having Ninja appearing on stage at an E3 event with the new Xbox console and Halo Infinite, that's gonna draw big live streaming numbers. Community growth is definitely another reason for wanting to leave Twitch for Mixer. So having scaled the heights of Twitch, some streamers wanna help out other smaller streamers and help develop and grow the entire kind of live streaming ecosystem going over to Mixer and helping them build from the ground up and starting afresh and trying to make them a serious competitor to Twitch has got to be attractive to those big streamers who've built up huge communities and want to share the love amongst the smaller streamers. It's not always great for the audience when there's one player dominating a market in any kind of business. Also, it appears if Twitch's contractual agreements can be quite tight. For example, Ninja came out to say he felt restricted under Twitch's contract with brand opportunities increasing significantly once he left Twitch. And ninja appeared on a show called the masked singer so in summary mixer still has a long way to go to catch up with twitch but microsoft are definitely flexing their financial muscles and it'll be interesting to see who else moves from mixer to twitch there's certainly an argument if you're a smaller streamer that starting on mixer is better as there's fewer streamers and your chance for developing a community is greater due to the pool of streamers being much less it'll also be interesting to see if twitch starts to fight back and how they might go about doing this because At the moment, it kind of feels like Twitch is the big player, they've got 75% of the market share. They're like, hey, you know, we don't need to worry about this right now. But soon, so YouTube live streaming, Facebook and uh, Mixer, they're going to be eating away into that market share from Twitch. And Twitch has got to be careful if they uh, sort of sleepwalk into a situation where their market share diminishes, then it's not going to be a good future for Twitch. So as live streaming grows in popularity in terms of gaming, but also other categories as well, like just chatting and things like that. Uh, live streaming is only going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, yeah, it's really interesting as um, now we move into this new territory with big companies uh, signing big name players to bring in uh, new audience numbers. And uh, I'm sure it, it's almost like a reflection of the streaming uh, society that we live in with big companies now like disney plus for example is pulling out their content from places like netflix and other places to create their own exclusive streaming platform so it's interesting to see uh, the power um shifting to to the streamers and they can almost command big fees on on wherever they go so so yeah really really interesting stuff and definitely and doubly interesting considering i'm starting up this week of video games on a streaming platform and at the minute i'm deciding where to go so all good stuff So if you're enjoying This Week in Video Games content, then head over to iTunes and it'd be great if you could leave us a nice review. So if you've got access to iTunes and you'd consider leaving a great review, then I'd really, really appreciate it. Don't forget, This Week in Video Games also has a YouTube channel that goes alongside with the podcast. And I recently passed 100 subscribers. So thank you very much if you're a listener and you also subscribe to the YouTube channel. Thank you so much. Really, really appreciate everyone who subscribed. And the YouTube channel has got the entire archive of the podcast as well as dedicated reviews interviews features i've got loads of how-to guides as well over there Uh, so search this week in video games on youtube and subscribe today for all that latest content and if you want to see anything specific on youtube sign up to patreon.com forward slash this week in video games and uh, any tier send me an email and I'll consider putting that on the YouTube channel at the minute I'm doing um, playthroughs of the Outer Worlds and Death Stranding and I'll be keeping up with my Destiny 2 tutorials and how-to guides as well so yeah head on over to YouTube today and uh, check out the channel next up I've got an interview with Sam Partridge from Stave Studios it's a new game on Apple Arcade called Over the Alps so let's go to that interview Welcome back to This Week in Video Games, and I'm here with Sam Partridge from Stave Studios. So welcome, Sam. How are you doing? Good, thanks, Tom. Good, good. And we're here today to talk about, amongst other things, Over the Alps. So first of all, congratulations on the release of Over the Alps recently. How's it been going since launch? (laughs) Good, really
1: good. Uh, Hectic. Um, we've uh, we were a very little team. We still are a very small team dealing with a very big launch. It's been absolutely fantastic though, and it's nice to kind of slow down a little after what was essentially about three months of development, just under three months of full-time development.
0: Fantastic. And for for those who don't know about Over the Alps, could you tell us a bit more about the game?
1: Yeah, of course. It is a World War II spy thriller. So think branching narrative think 80 days we've had people compare it to something like uh 80 days meets the great escape or a hitchcock film it's done in this kind of beautiful travel poster style there's a lot of words john ingold and catherine neal wrote it john from inco and 80 days and catherine from astrologaster and a few other projects who did this stunning job to make this high action caper you could just pick up on your phone. Looks fantastic. Give it a spin and get a bit of uh, intrigue, a bit of espionage, a bit of uh, bit of bit of fun on your phone. That's the whole vision of it. That, does that sound alright? Does that sound like, a, <laughs> sound like a decent game?
0: No, it's really good. It's, uh, it's... and it's it's fantastic fun. So I I've, I've played the game myself and um the uh so the Swiss police are on your tail. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Yes, yeah, sure. So, uh,
1: as you're playing the game, you're obviously a spy in
0: Switzerland. Uh, the year is
1: 1939, war is about to break out. Um, and you attract the attention of, no spoilers, but the Swiss police uh, who track you through the game. The idea being that if in like 80 days, you're being pulled forward, uh, as in they have this time limit. In a uh, sort of sea, which I worked on before, you have this kind of fuel thing dropping down. but for us, it's the pursuing, it's the chase. And at its core Over the it, Alps is a chase game. You, you can't just take your time and wander through. We want players to be thinking, you know how do I stand to cover? What disguises should I take up? like what correct choices should I make and what things should I say to the right people to not leave behind any clues so the police will find you and track you down?
0: And the um, so the story's kind of told through a series of postcards. So could you tell us more a bit about about the art style? Yeah,
1: I can. Uh, Josh Callahan, uh, lead artist, has worked in print and a number of other media, including uh, advertising, for a long time. Um, and I don't want to put words into his mouth, but I can very safely say games are his passion. Uh, When we came to start on Over the Alps, we kind of knew we wanted to make something historical, something set in an era, in a space that was very evocative. And it was really Josh's idea to say, well, if that's the case, then the the UI in the game should be that. I I think it's fine to have your your standard black box with your grey text on top of. But we wanted to get the feeling of going back through old documents. You see this a bit with the intro animation, the idea that you have this kind of... Box you're reading through and you're going back through old postcards and going back through pieces there. So Josh's idea was to, for the whole of the UI in the game, for all of your text, for your pieces, to have this kind of found object feel, you know, the era is full of these beautiful printed items, postcards, maps, stamps, everything in the game that you're playing is uh, the, the UI, your reading pieces, the thing, the way you choose where you're going to next is all inspired by real reference from that period.
0: The, and the game it looks absolutely beautiful um, and uh, especially on um, on um, retina devices on on on, on, on Apple arcade um, but I, I noticed as well the audio design is fantastic and it's really really important you've got the kind of bustling cafes and the, the sound of the trains and so could, could you tell us a bit more about the the audio design of the game
1: so I think uh, a lot of games, developers will often say, we really lucked out with this person and this person, but the development of Over the Ups has been a series of lucking out, you know, getting John and Catherine do the writing, getting uh, Mike Robinson from Reckon and Simon Wasman to do this amazing code work. Every part of it works so well, but nothing is more of a surprise and more of a joy than to work with Andy Huckvale, our musician, and then Matt, who's the other co-founder at Stave, who's a bit of an audio obsessive. Uh, Matt made sure that the audio pieces linked in correctly. But Andy's work was just astounding. You know, he he's worked a bit in different areas before, but the breadth that he can go from, we can say, okay, we'd like something that sounds a bit Wes Andersony, a bit spy filmy, maybe with some cowbells and stuff. And he goes, yep, yeah, puts together this fantastic tune. He did the same for all of the folio in the game. He did it in such a short space of time. It was staggering and it was one of those things I don't think you see into the very last few kind of weeks of development we put it in and went okay wow this is actually feeling and looking like a game now you know rather than just a collection of code pieces and writing glued together it pulled the thing in wonderfully Um, yeah it's all down to Andy and uh, Matt.
0: And um, you mentioned there before about uh, working with uh, John and Catherine on the writing so how did that collaboration come about? <laughs> so uh,
1: we worked with a writer previously. It didn't quite pan out, um, mostly around contractual issues, uh, entirely so, in fact. So we then needed to say, OK, well, we had a very limited amount of time, maybe about five weeks to take him and get it translated because, of course, Uh, Being on the Apple Arcade, we're not just in English, we're in 14 other languages as well, including Arabic and Russian. So we needed to get a really well written story done uh, quite quickly, which uh, was frankly at one point looking impossible. Um, And then through the grapevine, well, it's not true. I've known John for a while. He's kept an eye on over the Alps. He's just a kind of wonderful, magnanimous person who's always keen to see what's going on in the narrative games world. A friend of a, a mutual friend said, you know what, John's free right now. So I said, well, okay, let's give it a pump. Why not? And he said, "Yep, no, not only am I free, I can start you know, literally right now. And I know ink because we use ink very similar to 80 days very well because he wrote it. <laughs> he also then said, um, and I have this great co-writer I want to bring on, Catherine Neal. And it really was a case of just ha- handing the reins of that part over to him. And he was an absolute magician. We worked very hard to rework a number of scenes the story was essentially rewritten it, No, no so i said it, essentially it was rewritten from the ground up we had to rework a number of locations we worked very hard to make sure that it'd be ready for translation as well and we have uh nick bush over in canada too who helped us out with that it was a dream to work with but also as i've freely said to him uh, incredibly intimidating uh richard Cobbett had a good tweet when he uh And John started the project. He said, hey, I'm doing some freelance work, you know, for the first time. He's not really done that kind of thing, Uh, freelance writing. And Richard jokingly said, oh, I can imagine how the conversations go. You know, your employer says, maybe I should change this. And John goes, no, I am Johnny Gold and I've done this, that and the other. It was very joking, but uh, at least for the first few weeks, I was terrified to give any feedback or give any support because the man, he, he just knows what he's doing so well. And he's wonderfully creative and also all of that under extreme pressure of
0: time uh, it was a dream Tom truth be told and um, th- th- did you find the time pressure kind of focused efforts a little bit into kind of getting it out um, when you needed to? Massively so we, we, we've been working in over the Alps
1: for I believe a total of eight years but caveat caveat that that's on and off you know it's going through vertical slices it's prototyping stuff that's kind of getting an idea of what we're gonna you know the, the, the vague idea of what we wanted to do by the time we came to the, uh, the, the those three months, we had in our heads such a crystal clear vision of what was going on. I sat on Hack and Plan, which is a great tool, and just started uh, designed the whole thing. Basically said, okay, we need this, 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 and this. The only place we weren't sure was the postcards, but Matt, was a, who is also happens to be a really good designer, and a few of the other team members sorted that kink out. We had been making this thing for long enough in its kind of proto stage that the actual running of it was really straightforward. And we came in with time to spare. I think if the team was less extraordinary um, and they were absolutely unbelievable, it was a dream to work with them, it would have been a very different case. But we had that period before, and truth be told, we had the fact that it's a streamlined design. You know, I've been making narrative games for, God, years now, I guess. Josh had been working um, on the art for so long he's become a better artist and uh, an artist who knew how to work with a medium. As Matt and I had also become better programmers over time, it really was a case of right final sketches go. And even though the time pressure was there,
0: we, yeah, we did a few late nights, sure, but nothing out of the ordinary. And I understand that Over the Alps is your debut from Stave Studios. So how, how's that process been for you? wild.
1: (laughs) Absolutely wild. Um, Matt, Josh and I, Josh and I originally and then uh, later on, Matt started with this kind of vision of making something that was beautiful, that was meaningful, but, you know, had the certain inevitability of a small game in the current market, which was, we'll get it out there, we'll put it up for a few pennies, we'll see how it does. The support from Apple meant that we could say, actually, you know what, we can make it how we see it in our heads which is uh, an absolute dream. I don't think many debut studios get that kind of chance. They have to make a few little things and do agency work. And we hold all, all of this planned. Apple kind of took us to the top floor in a very fast lift. Um, it, it, it's, it's been intimidating, sure, but it's actually been a joy uh, and it's exciting now, not just to have it done and work in it, but to write updates. We're making updates right now and even talk about what we're doing next.
0: And um, so, so for those who don't know, how and uh, when can players get uh, their hands on the game? So it is out right
1: now on the Apple Arcade, uh, on iOS, on Apple TV, on Mac, on that's iOS for iPad and the iPhone as well. Uh, right now, yeah, we should be having another update out sometime soon, secret, 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 but uh, I, I won't say any more than that.
0: <laughs> and um, so how... Ha- how did the uh, collaboration with Apple Arcade come about? That must have been really exciting. <laughs> it was really exciting, yeah. uh, uh
1: b- baffling in places too. Um, uh, I, I just have to say I, I, it was baffling because, you know, for such a big company to take such a creative gamble was just fantastic. Like for us little indies, it, it, you, they didn't really need to in all honesty, but they said, well, we want to support the smaller Companies who are making the weird and the wonderful, and, and we're we're very small and we're making something very weird and very wonderful. And um, we had been pitching for a while uh, to different places. We caught the attention of Felix Kramer uh, over in Canada, who, if you look at Felix's uh, Twitter account, you'll realise that Felix does everything under the sun, uh, uh, an absolute omni tool, and uh, again another pleasure to work with. Who basically said yeah, you know, this, your thing's great, it's really good, this kind of premium mobile game is ace. Bear with us, just hold on tight, something big is coming. And then slowly over time, it kind of became clear what that might be. And then an email to say, expect a call, and then there I am on a phone call with Cupertino, uh, which was wild. Um, but they loved it, they, they they instantly loved it. They loved the quiet political message behind it. They love the tone of the game. The visuals of the game, obviously, are stunning. And the stability of it, too. Uh, it's great having someone like Matt, who is such a good uh, iOS developer on board, to go, yep, yeah, Apple TV, shrug, it's fine, go for it. I've done it before, I'll do it again. So it was a kind of a perfect fit.
0: And um, I, I remember when Apple Arcade was first announced and, and kind of had a look at it and thought, oh, that's quite interesting, and then um, kind of forgot about it. But then like with when with all the games that have come out at launch, um, um over the Alps included in that, it, it, it's such a fantastic launch lineup. You must be so proud of being part of the part of that initial kind of launch of games.
1: I am. I mean, I, I have to give a few shout outs because there's some which I'm so specifically proud of, I must say out loud. Being in this initiative and being next to the games like Pilgrim, Neocab, Overland, Why uh, um, as well, which is absolutely wild, Cav um, kind of darkness, mini motorways. A lot of these games were from creators that I played before and loved with a passion. Now seeing them out in the world and we're alongside them was uh, staggering, <laughs> absolutely staggering. It was fantastic. It really was a, a, a grand tour of some of the more, some of the most fantastic people in the industry. Uh, It did make me feel proud, yeah, mildly terrified to begin with, but when we settled in amongst them, we uh, felt really good. Oh, and of course, sorry, I have to say as well, Tangle Tower. For me, the one where I really went, I'm feeling fantastic about this, is we were side by side with SFB games who I've been following for a long time and obsessed over their games. And, you know, because it was all very secret, we weren't sure, uh, we we didn't know ourselves which games were going to be in there. To have someone like SFB with Tangle Tower next to us was just, yeah, a a, a genuine dream come true. If I sound like I'm slightly baffled, it is uh, because I am, (laughs) truthfully told.
0: (laughs) That's brilliant. And um, I wanted to move away from Over the Alps uh, and talk about Stave Studios a little bit. And uh, you mentioned earlier when we were talking, it's quite a small team. Uh, Could you you tell us a bit about Stave Studios and, and the team there?
1: yeah sure so uh stave, the team that was one of the outs by the way was a total of about 15 or so you can find them on the website stave itself is three individuals uh that's myself uh doing the narrative the develop studio leady kind of stuff uh you've got josh who is our creative artistic lead uh, and then you've got matt who is our technical lead, also sound wizard as well, and a variety of other roles. That's the core of it, uh, the three of us. That being said, we are working with and collaborating with a lot of different people. We kind of work like a lot of small indie teams do at the moment with freelancers. We have Harry Tufts, who I worked with at Fail Better before, uh, who's writing the updates, who is... Again, another fantastic catch, <laughs> frankly, the, the, the man is a genius and it's a pleasure to, to, to have him on board as well as Nick Bush over in Canada. And the list goes on for people who kind of are in the, uh, we have along for the ride, essentially.
0: I'm I'm curious as to kind of how you come up with ideas in your studio whether that they're kind of fully fleshed out before you start or do you do you take more of a kind of prototyping approach and an iterative uh, iterative approach to your your games
1: so so we have a big uh cork board with random words on it and we throw darts at it until we're happy with it i'm joking sorry uh, i wish that would make great games maybe make great games with over the alps the idea came from a, a very small idea that i had to make something very neat and very tight for premium um uh, the narrative set up from it just evolved on from that as different team members moved in and out, and we worked with different people we kind of got closer and closer to this overall vision that was quite Tuned and neat right now the way we work is very different now we have a bit more time you know we know that we can all creatively add to the project like we we, we love and trust each other very very much uh we're going a lot more collaborative and i'm a bigger fan of that uh, overall rather than having to go well from necessity we can't have let us say this kind of design, I'm not going to say it, or else it'll give away what might be coming up in an update in the near future. Or we can't do this kind of uh, exciting bit of mechanic or this kind of um, interesting bit of UI. We kind of set to trim it right the way back. Whereas now we have the time, we can kind of go, okay, let's open this conversation up, let's hear some more ideas, and let's be more collaborative about it. Does that answer your question decently? Yeah,
0: no, that's really good. And it it must have been um, a super busy... 2019 for Spade Studios. I mean, I I can only imagine. Um,
1: I mean, the start the start of this year, Tom, was um, genuinely us sitting in a room, going, you know, we're just not going to be able to do it. Like, it it it, it's it's too hard. We've pitched nonstop for about a year. Uh, It's almost like a full time job, you know. We've had to take all of this contract work. I was working with Fusebox. He made the Love Island games, which was actually genuinely one of the most Technically competent and complex games and some of the most, one of the most lovely teams have worked with in games as well. They really are good people. But, you know, you're sitting there in this very comfortable place, still pitching, still getting away. And we kind of sat down at one point point we're like, if this doesn't work, we're, we're out. And that was this time last year. This year, now, it's like, okay, not only did we get it done, we did it in a very short space of time. We got John Ingold and Catherine Neal to write for it. That's bonkers. And it's, it's good, like, there's that wonderful moment in development where you're John talked about this in the talk, where you're playing it and you're testing it and it just feels like bits, you know. It just feels like some kind of exploded machine. And all of a sudden you're doing it and you just have this little spark and you can see, oh God, it's a game. To go from a point where this thing is nothing on paper to having that about sometime this year and then seeing it out there and people rating it and people messaging saying, I've done 12 playthroughs of it already. In the space of a year is wild uh it, it, when life hits you it seems to hit you very fast
0: it, it, it must be it, it both exciting and terrifying in equal measures to work in an industry that can kind of one minute seem quite challenging and then another minute seem like the opportunities are endless
1: yes it can i think it, the industry is volatile for sure I, the thing that always brings me down to worth I think when I first think about this kind of thing, I always feel baffled by it. But when I actually look at the game and the team, it makes a lot of sense. We worked very hard and we have a very talented team. All of us have worked, sometimes in not the best jobs, but jobs that gave us a skill set and a vision of what we wanted to make. We stuck at it for a long time and sure, plenty of people don't, but actually what helped was that we made a good game. Um... There's plenty of other things in there as well. I, I have a vision for doing a talk soon um, when I want people to ask me, you know, what, what do you think the real thing that made over the up work was? And I kind of want to put in great big capital letters on a, on the slide, you know, like privilege or luck or right place, right time. But a combination of that and and making something that people genuinely wanted uh, saw us through. It, I That being said, life i i'm not entirely sure i'd ever recommend anyone to follow down the path we did <laughs> because i had some really dark moments and some a lot of points where we could have dropped out and time was the only thing that um kept us in frankly persistence
0: well you you made it through the the, the dark times and hopefully <laughs> they're much lighter now <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <me> um, <laughs> and i you know it, I, i'm sure 2020 is Going to be super bright for Stave Studios. Is there any inkling that you can, or any clues that you can give us as to what you'll be working on next, or is that top secret? (sighs) That
1: is so top secret. It's not just top (laughs) secret. It's it's utterly in utero. It um we literally started talking about it yesterday. We have a vision. We have some ideas. It's looking good, and we also have a plan for updates for the apps as well. We can happily say that we will be doing more updates there. We're doing a lot more. A lot more story, Harry's coming in, and the stuff he's got is just absolutely brilliant. Like, uh, it's astounding um, to read. It's just fantastic, exciting, and I am, it's on the tip of my tongue of what it is, but I'm going to hold back. I'm going to be a very sensible studio lead and <laughs> promise nothing and say nothing and stop talking now.
0: <laughs> so, plenty of exciting stuff for Over the Alps um, coming soon, and uh, an interesting. Uh, uh, secret new project from stave studios sam thank you so much for um, taking the time to talk to us here on this week in video games I've, I've taken up enough of your time today and thank you for sharing the details about over the alps and stave studios and kind of a little bit about you about how you got into the industry uh, really really appreciate your time and congratulations once again with the launch of over the alps and everyone everyone who's listening should go out there and uh, get it today so sam thank you for taking the time to talk to us appreciate
1: it tom thank you so much for having me on
0: good luck good luck for your future projects well that was me there talking to Sam Partridge from Stave Studios and thank you once again Sam really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk to us on This Week in Video Games and everyone out there should go and check out Over the Alps on Apple Arcade it's absolutely fantastic Uh, it's a spy espionage thriller on your mobile device and perfect for that commute or if you're sitting on the bus or if you're on the plane or even if you're at home on your sofa uh, with the iPad or something like that. So yeah, check it out. It's a super, super fun game. And next up, it's The Outer Worlds. Look who it is. The stranger that came out of nowhere and now has everyone talking. Some people want you to be a savior, a shining beacon of hope. Those people clearly haven't met you yet. (laughs) All right. <laughs> Can I get you some soap? Everyone loves soap. Remember, no matter what happens out here, it'll all be your fault. What's it like in an ultra-capitalist world where you have to pay your company sick pay and your bosses work you to the bone to heal you? through the dedication to the cause? Well, we get a chance to find out in The Outer Worlds, a new role-playing game from Obsidian Entertainment. So in The Outer Worlds, we get to find out this extreme vision of a capitalist future that seeps into every walk of life in the Halcyon system. So the game starts out as you get woken up from being in stasis, and it's been about 70 years aboard a ship called The Hope, and it had been thought that lost in space. So much like being plucked out from a vending machine yourself, Phineas Wells wakes you up and asks for your help. So Wells asks you to go down on a small mission on a local planet to cause a little trouble for the corporations. And you've got the choice to go ahead and work with Wells or simply turn him in. So there's been a void in the RPG space. Some wanted it filled with Fallout 76. And when that turned out to be less than desirable, the void remained. So Obsidian Entertainment has produced some of the best RPGs in the gaming world, With titles such as Fallout New Vegas and Knights of the Old Republic 2. Since being acquired by Microsoft under the banner of Xbox Game Studios, fans have been eagerly awaiting this release and Obsidian have stepped up to that expectation. So world building and character development is front and centre in Obsidian's games and the Outer Worlds is no exception. There's characters here that you just want to spend time with, there's humour, sadness and grief all the ingredients that make an engaging and lifelike world that's worth your time. The world is also vibrant, full of color and life. Around every corner there's characters to meet, to talk to, to help reinforce the capitalist hell that's been created in the 70 years that you've been asleep aboard the hope. You're back now and it's time to take matters into your own hands if you choose to do so. So as you've been asleep for all that time, you're not as much a slave to the corporation way of life as the other characters in the Halcyon system. They don't see the oppression that they're under, but you can see right through it. So the game is surprisingly open allowing you to choose your own path. Do you want to support the corporate way of life and help oppress the workers around you? Or do you want to take on the role of a freedom fighter and help bring down big business? It's up to you. The game doesn't shy away from big choices and the game opens with an important one, whether you can choose to work with Phineas Wells or betray him immediately. So at the start of the game you create a character in your vision and there's the standard face body and gender creation tools but you've also got a certain allocation of points for different traits like uh, fighting social skills technology and leadership Uh, So when I created my character, uh, I pumped a load of um, energy or I pumped a load of points into technology and medical skills and this opened up other kind of branching narratives in the game, which was really, really cool. So this allows you to truly role play your character and lean into traits that can get you in and also out of some sticky situations. So the initial choices are important and they do affect the dialogue choices that are presented to you in game. So you can fight and blast your way through situations uh, but if you want to work on a more subtle side then you can lie, sneak and hack your way through. So due to the technology traits, uh, I could use hacking uh, much earlier on in the game. And uh, due to my uh, I think it was the intelligence points or the persuasion, I can't remember exactly the uh, the category of points, but I was I was able to persuade characters much more. There was one early encounter in the game where we were going to stand back. And uh, these two uh, characters from the corporation uh, didn't want me to sort of rush in and fight. Um, I said, well, you know, don't these uh, d- don't employees from this corporation um, want to get stuck in? Do they really shy away from situations? And uh, she was like, you're right, goddammit. And they went in all guns blazing and, uh, yeah, and killed these marauders. So that was really fun. But The Outer Worlds truly allows you to carve your own path through the game. And it creates a varied world that reacts to your own personal build. So there's a compact system in the game as well and it's supported by various blasters and pistols. So on board the hope, you develop something called tactical time dilation which allows you to slow down time and aim shots at the right time and also kind of dodge out the way. Although The Outer Worlds isn't a first person shooter game, the action is pretty good and doesn't feel out of place and it's better than some games that have this mechanic as core part of the game. The writing in The Outer Worlds really sets the world apart and allows you to get lost in the environment and the world and the story that Obsidian are presenting to you. So each NPC has a rich character with a sense of humour, decent backstory and engaging personality and they're just characters you want to talk to. The quality of the writing shines through and elevates the game from good to great. So as well as the NPCs in the game, you're able to call on a number of companions like the classic Bioware model. So there's six companions in total, each with their own distinct abilities, flaws, and skills. At any point in the game, you can bring along two companions uh, with you on a mission. They can help you out in all sorts of ways, from medical help, fighting your enemies, or providing engineering support. They've got really great personalities too, and you just want to kind of hang out with them. Companions share details about their lives um, with you, but also to each other as well. There's a little bit of banter on ships, and it further reinforces the rich world that Obsidian have built and realised around you. So the game world that has been built, it's not as big as other games like the Outer Worlds. However, its areas are nicely self-contained and dense with story. It's not an easy task to create a world that's got just about the right amount of content, but Obsidian Entertainment have done a great job of creating a rich environment with stories and leaving the player wanting more. The team, they've already said they'd love to make a second game, and with the financial might of Microsoft behind them, it's the first commercial hit for Obsidian under Microsoft. No doubt there's going to be a second Outer Worlds game, I can imagine it going to be bigger and better. However, that's some time from now, and we've still got many, many more side quests to enjoy here. Overall, the Outer Worlds is really, really fun, rich, rewarding and a superb gaming experience. Hopes have been high for this game and they've pretty much lived up to all expectations. Also, it's very, very cost effective at the time of making this podcast. The game is available on Xbox Game Pass, so right now you can get the game for $3.99 per month for the service which is available on Xbox and PC via a beta at the moment. And you don't only get the Outer Worlds, you get loads of loads of other games as well. I think it's a library of about 100 games, and there's, there's some absolutely fantastic games on there. And also, when you sign up to the service, it's just £1 for your first month. Now, I'm not sponsored by Xbox or Microsoft, although I wouldn't say no, uh, Xbox or Microsoft, if you're listening. But... <laughs> um, but for this price there simply isn't a choice go out there and uh, try the outer worlds today so what did you think of the game head on over to patreon.com forward slash this in video games sign up to any tier and send me your comments your thoughts on the outer worlds i'd really really love to hear what you thought of it well that's it for the outer worlds next up it's the all platform charts So in the charts this week, number 10, it's Medieval. Uh, that's down five places from last week's number five. Number nine this week, it's Grand Theft Auto Five. That's up two places from last week's number 11. At uh, number eight, we've got Plants vs. Zombies, The Battle for Neighborville. That's up one place from last week's number nine. Number seven this week, it's Ring Fit Adventure. And uh, that's holding steady at last week's number seven. Number six, up two places from last week's number eight, is Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon Breakpoint. And uh, even though the game's got bad reviews, it stays in the top 10. So that's doing pretty good. Number five this week, it's The Outer Worlds. And that's down one place from last week's number four. And that's the game we just talked about. Number four this week, it's uh, up two places from last week's number six. It's Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. And I think it's going to spend the whole year in the top 10. Number three this week, it's down one place from last week's number two. And it's FIFA 20. Number two this week, it's a new entry with Luigi's Mansion 3. And number one this week, is holding steady at number one. It's Call of Duty Modern Warfare. And congratulations to the team over there for Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Fantastic campaign. Really, really enjoyed it. And uh, looking forward to diving back into the multiplayer. Well, that's it for the charts this week. Let's have a look at what we've got coming up in the next few weeks. So coming up in the next few weeks, we've got Romancing Saga 3. That's coming out on PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch, PlayStation Vita. Well, that's surprising. And PC, that's on November the 11th. On the 12th we've got Yaga, that's on PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch, PC and iOS. On the 14th we've got a couple of games. We've got Age of Empires 2 Definitive Edition, that's coming out on PC. And we've got Stormland, that's coming out on the Rift. On the 15th, well, we've got some good games coming out on the 15th. We've got Astroneer coming out on the PlayStation 4. And we've got Pokemon Sword and Shield coming out on November the 15th. And I've got Pokemon Shield pre-ordered and looking forward to that one. And Star Wars Jedi fallen order is coming out on the ps4 xbox one and on the pc on the 15th as well so i'm also going to pick that up really really looking forward to that and i will be featuring pokemon shield on uh, the next episode of the podcast so if you're interested in that please look forward to that also on the 15th we've got woven that's coming out on ps4 xbox one switch and pc on the 19th we've got shenmue 3 finally is coming out and uh Backers on Kickstarter have been playing it for some time, and uh, finally Shenmue 3 is coming out. That's coming out on PS4 and PC via the Epic Game Store. We've got Civilization 6 that's coming out on PlayStation 4, Xbox One. That's out on the 22nd, and we've got Sniper Ghost Warrior Contracts that's coming out on PS4, Xbox One, and on PC. So, a lot of good games in there and let me know what you're uh, looking forward to. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash this week in video games and sign up to any tier on there and send me uh, send me your thoughts on what's coming up, what you're looking forward to playing. Uh, um, me personally, I'm looking forward to the Pokemon game on Nintendo Switch and uh, the Pokemon, actually side, side note here, the Pokemon store has been open in Westfield in London and the queues have been absolutely insane. We've been checking out the queues in Westfield, uh, trying to get there and the queues are just going absolutely around the block. You can't get in from 9 to 5 every day, the queues are there. Really looking forward to uh, the Pokemon game coming on Nintendo Switch, but also Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Looking forward to that. Um, it's, you know, that's going to be like uh, Sekiro with a Star Wars skin on it. It looks really, really good. Can't wait for that one. Okay, so that's it for what's coming out in the next couple of weeks. And uh, Next up, let's have a look at what I've been doing outside of gaming. So outside of gaming in the last couple of weeks, I've been watching His Dark Materials and it's a TV adaptation of the Philip Pullman books of the same title. So it's the story of Lyra and her demon. In this world, all people have demons when they come of age. There was a film a few years ago called The Golden Compass, which tried to adapt the story to the big screen, but it fell flat in the ratings and we never really heard from it again. I'm really pleased to say that the TV show so far is really, really good. It was just episode one last week and episode two is on tonight. Uh, so the story is one of adventure coming of age and for me it's the perfect night sunday television um for a little bit of escapism and curling up on the sofa so so far so good i really recommend watching it and you can check it out on bbc iplayer here in the uk and i think it's on hbo in north america that's it for this week's episode of this week in video games podcast and if you want to get involved in the show then sign up to patreon at patreon.com forward slash this week in video games or you can check out the latest on the website so on there, um, sign up for any tier and you can send in your questions, your comments and your video game stories. I'm always interested in hearing from you. really want your contributions for the podcast. So I'm also available on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube and Instagram. to so search This Week in Video Games on your favourite platform and join in the conversation. Well, thanks again for hanging out with me and chatting about video games. I hope you have a great week. I'll talk to you in a few weeks time, but for now, I'll see you soon.